and welcome back to the Sisters in Sustainability podcast. I am your host, Victoria Lynn. The Sisters in Sustainability podcast is designed to help highlight young women and their impact on the growing sustainability movement. In 2015, the United Nations released 17 sustainable development goals centered around improving the quality of life for the global population. Together, we can tackle these goals to help make the world a cleaner, greener, and more sustainable place for the next generation. I am joined by today's guest, a hospitalist physician assistant, advocate for health empowerment and equity, and your Miss Lehigh Valley. Please welcome my dear friend, Riley Slate. Riley, we are so, so grateful to have you with us today. So why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. So like you said, I am Miss Lehigh Valley 2022. Um, I'll be giving up my title pretty soon. Um, I'm very, very excited though that I am getting married this August, which is why I'm not continuing on um, in the organization, but I have gained so much from this organization truly. Um, And so my education, um, I went to DeSales University. I graduated in 2018 with my bachelor's degree in um, medical studies. And then I went on directly into my master's program. um, And I graduated in 2020 with my master's um, of science in physician assistant studies also from DeSales University. Um, I recently came up on my two-year work anniversary, so I've now been practicing um, as a medical provider for two years, uh, all through the pandemic nonetheless, and I have learned and grown so much as both a medical provider and just a human being in general, Um, and I'm so excited to be here with you, so thank you for having me. And thank you for being here. So why don't you, let's get into it. Why don't you tell us about your social impact initiative and why it's important to you? Absolutely. So my social impact initiative, it's called the Health Empowerment Project. Um, Really the goal of it, it all kind of stemmed from my patients. What I found, especially during the pandemic, was that people are looking for um, medical information and oftentimes they're seeking out information that's incorrect, unfortunately. With the beauty of the internet, um, people are able to search anything and everything. And oftentimes they stumble upon medical information, like I said, that's not the most um, accurate. And so I kind of wanted to create it in order order to provide uh, patients a, a um, you know, accurate evidence-based inf- medical information for free um, and that they could access at any time um, in order to become their own patient advocate. Um, patient advocacy is something that I am very passionate about as well. Uh, it's something that we can all test to is that we are all patients, including myself. Um, and being your own advocate is very, very important in the healthcare field. So that's kind of where this all stemmed from. Um, yeah. One thing that you and I talked about a little bit earlier was the importance of living your social impact initiative and being engrossed in what it is you're doing to impact your community. So as a healthcare provider, what kind of a unique uh, response, unique point of view, are you able to bring and pass on to people as they're learning about self-advocacy? So, I mean, something really that kind of sticks with me the most. So I work in a um, very, very underprivileged area in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, A lot of underinsured, uninsured, homeless population, um, things along those lines. And so these patients, I mean, when I tell you hearing their stories and just simply sitting with them and listening to how they got where they are has completely opened my eyes to just the world around me in general. Um, And so those patient experiences, I really take into consideration every single time I meet someone for the first time. Um, And I try to take into consideration, you know, their background and what they might've gone through previously. Um, And so that's something that, you know, 
uniquely I have experienced one being in the medical field, but being in the medical field, particularly in an area that's underserved. You talk about healthcare equity. What can we do to create more equitable environments for people seeking care or for people who are, you know, in treatment? Absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that, you know, you and I can necessarily do. If that were the case, I don't think I would be in this situation, particularly, I'd probably be in politics. But um, if, if, you know, there's one thing that we can do, it would be, like I said, advocating for yourself, um, because that's something that we all have control over. You know, if you don't feel like something is right in your body, speaking up and saying something, because at the end of the day, you're the one that lives in your body every day, not your medical provider, not your nurse, not your doctor doesn't matter who. So um, definitely in that way. But I mean, more recently, I don't know if you've seen the headlines, but Eli Lilly just decreased uh, insulin cost, capped it at $35 a vial, which when I tell you is life changing, I mean that. And so if we can continue to encourage our politicians to pass legislation like this, I mean, it will change the world. I mean that with every ounce of my being. When I tell you prescribing insulin is the bane of my existence until today. I mean that because the hoops I have to jump through in order for people to be able to afford these medications are just so unnecessary. And so the fact that these medications are now going to be affordable for, for people, it's not only going to make my life a lot easier to prescribe it, but it, it will completely change people's lives. So definitely encouraging politicians to pass this kind of legislation um, to encourage these drug companies to decrease prices. Sustainable Development Goal 3 is good health and well-being, and this is coming to mind as we're kind of discussing the work that you do and how it's impacting our communities. Um, and of course, for our listeners at home, this is a topic that we've discussed at length. You know, we've had Shannon Caddy and Aya Johnson, Miss Virginia's teen, to talk about how they have served as advocates as people who suffer with chronic illness. But I think that you bring a unique perspective to this issue because you are a healthcare provider. And I know that you touched on this a little bit earlier, and I'm sure that there's a lot of guidelines regarding HIPAA of what you can and cannot talk about. But, you know, could you dive into a little bit more of kind of the inequity or yeah, inequities that you're seeing for your patients? And, you know, what can people do to to overcome these or how can people find assistance when they need it? Yeah, so I what I found the most is that there are community resources available for people. The problem is that they don't know what people don't know what's available to them. Um, and so as a medical provider, and I encourage anybody in medicine to also become aware of this, but knowing what your community has in regard to financial assistance, in regard to food stamps, in regard to um, local shelters, uh, you know, things along those lines, it's so essential because at the end of the day, you know, um, somebody's health, they, they put that on the back burner when they don't have a house and when they don't have food on the table. And, you know, so it kind of becomes a second thought, unfortunately. And so you really, really have to address the things that are essential to being a human being um, prior to tackling healthcare problems. So I encourage all my people in medicine to be aware of what their community resources have. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, I think that people oftentimes don't look at um, a person or a patient per se, uh, as having, you know, other things going on besides that one medical problem. So if I'm looking at you, you have high blood pressure and like, that is it. I'm treating the high blood pressure and people don't think about the fact that 
maybe the medication that you prescribed them, one was too expensive, or maybe the medication that you prescribed them needed to be refrigerated and they don't have access to a refrigerator, um, things along those lines. So taking into consideration that there are so many other boundaries that these people encounter than, than you or I might encounter on a daily basis. I really like the way that you're kind of um, alluding to the fact that people need to have empathy uh, when dealing with these situations. And you're so right. I mean, I think we live in a world where we see one issue and that's the one thing that we focus on. So I, I want to say thank you um, for bringing light to, to these subjects because they are multifaceted and you never know what other people are dealing with. But that's a great transition for this next question. You know, moving into the work that you've done, can you recall a moment or something that stands out for you when you have been able to impact on your social impact initiative? Absolutely. I mean, I, I experience it weekly, at least. Um, I'm very, very lucky to have, uh, over the last year and a half or so, um, started volunteering. It's not even with any organization per se. Um, on Tuesdays, I go to a local laundromat in Allentown, um, and there is an organization there or there's almost like a little community there. Um, and they do free laundry for about two hours for people in the community. Anybody that comes, they sign up, um, will pay for their laundry. They do their laundry. It's kind of become almost a center for a lot of different community resources. So it's been such an awesome way to connect with these people directly in the community, meet them where they are. And then when they do come to the hospital, I'm able to see them and I know them and I have some sort of rapport with them. Um, oftentimes our patients that are unsheltered, um, you know, have just a general distrust in the medical community and understandably so oftentimes they're treated terribly. And I, and I admit that, and it's so sad to me that that's the case. Um, but when you meet these people where they are, where they're comfortable, where they're with their friends, um, it completely changes things because then when they see me in the hospital, they're so much more likely to trust what I have to say, you know, to listen to my recommendations and things along those lines. So it's something that I'm very, very fortunate to be able to have seen. Um, you know, I have one one couple in particular that comes to my mind uh, that I met at the laundromat. Um, and I know that they won't mind me saying their names. They are not my patients. They are my friends. Um, I don't take care of them medically. I literally just met them there. Their names are Tina and Sai. Um, they, they actually, uh, I met them at the laundromat and they were living in their car. They were evicted from their home. She has a few disabilities, wasn't able to work, um, and they just fell on hard times. And so we met them there. They were living in their car um, for a good period of time, probably at least a few months or so. Um, and when I tell you they are the last people that you would ever look at and, and think they're homeless, and they really offered so much insight into homelessness for me. Um, and they said to me, you know, people oftentimes look at homelessness as they have a drug problem, they have mental health problems. And while those things may be true, and those people also do deserve shelter, I also recognize, you know, that there are so many other reasons why people can be homeless. Now, kind of fast forward a little bit, he actually works as my nail tech. He does my nails um, every, every few weeks, and he's living there, living now with his um, mother in her basement. So they are sheltered, so and they're doing very well, and they're getting married in July, and we're going to their wedding, and we're very excited. So yeah, all good things. <laughs> Oh my God, what a wonderful, uplifting kind of moment to see a full act kind of happen there. And it's, uh, it's really 
it's a beautiful thing that you said. And, and you made that really great point of there is a mistrust for the medical field. And I think that that's something that we saw maybe grow with COVID. And I know that you mentioned working in the hospital at that time. And my mother's a nurse. And I know that she would talk about how difficult it was dealing with patients and dealing with the community at large and, and their kind of reaction to what was a global issue that nobody really had the answer or solution to. So it's really wonderful to see and hear how, you know, the impact that people and healthcare providers are having extends further than just, than just the hospital or just a, and your impact within your community, of course, outside of your, your professional work is really, really wonderful and uplifting. But one thing that we did mention, and I know that you said this, is that social media kind of creates an issue for people when it comes to seeking medical help. You know, TikTok is probably one of the largest social media platforms in the world. And I think every five videos I scroll through, I hear somebody giving some type of alternative probably millions of great alternatives for certain types of medicine. You can't beat medical care when it's necessary. So what kind of impact are you seeing on social media? What are the benefits? What are the downsides to people trying to seek care or just dealing with um, patients? Yeah, I, I see it. I mean, I've seen it a few times very, very severely, you know, with patients that are end of life and refusing treatments because it's not, you know, um, homeopathic or whatever the case may be. So I've seen it, I've seen it pretty severe in that case. Um, but you know, I think that there is room for all. Um, I, I think that there is absolutely room for holistic medicine and looking at the human being as, as more than, like I said, just one single disease. So I think there's room for that, but we also have to acknowledge that all of these medications and these diseases that we are are looking at in patients are well studied. Um, it, the proof is the proof is in the the research, the true research. And when I say research, I don't mean going on Google and typing in high blood pressure, right? I don't mean that. I mean true peer reviewed, you know, randomized control trials, like true PubMed good stuff. All right, that's what I mean. And so you know, but like I said, there's room for all. So as medical providers and medical people in medicine, we can't be closed off to the idea that, you know, people might want to take high dose vitamin C. That's fine. That's not going to hurt you. You can take high dose vitamin C, but you know, there's also room for other medical interventions as well. So that's kind of what I, what I have to say about that. Social media does pose, you know, a whole different slew of problems in regard to, you know, getting medical information from people that not aren't necessarily qualified always look into or ask about their qualifications. Um, that's always something that you, you're able to do. Just DM them if you don't know. Um, I encourage you to do that because it's important that you know where your information is coming from. You have every right to know. So, um, but yeah, I feel like there's also a lot of good that can come out of social media. I mean, Miss America is partnering with the, you know, American Heart Association and, and promoting, you know, CPR awareness, which I think is phenomenal and wonderful. So, you know, there's a lot of good that comes out of it too. So I don't think that we should you know, over, over, uh, shadow the goodness that does come from it too. I love, I love a peer reviewed study all the time. Anytime somebody brings any information that they found to me from TikTok, I'm like, okay, but is there a peer reviewed study to back this up? So I love that. I mean, you said it and I was like, ding, ding, ding the most important part, but I think you're, you're exactly right. And, um, I mean, transitioning a little bit more into discussing the Miss America organization, we're seeing cases where Damar Hamlin would have died 
had somebody on that field not known CPR. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think you're right that, you know, it provides a perfect outlet for people to learn specialized skills like that. And it's also, I think, a perfect platform for people like you to serve as advocates for finding the right research and and seeking uh, a new platform to talk about what to do instead of what not to do and who to listen to and where to get your information from. So I think that's great. And talking about the Miss America organization, I know that you are, you're going to be leaving us, which is heartbreaking because we love you so much, but could you touch a little bit about how having a platform within the Miss America organization has impacted your ability to talk about healthcare? Yeah, no, it absolutely has. I I mean, when I tell you I got into this organization and I had no clue the benefits that I would get from it. I really, I really didn't. All I knew was, so I started competing back in, um, 2018, not long ago, 2017, 2018 or so. Um, and so, you know, at that time, all I knew was that Miss America happened and there were really, really pretty women that can answer really hard questions. And they walked around on stage and it could just never be me. Could never be me. Right. I think that we can all test to that at some point. We're like, no, not me. And so uh, after I was approached by like a local director, I was like, why not? You know, let's just see what happens. And lo and behold, I competed in my first local, which had about 20 girls and I won. And I, when I tell you shocked was such a severe understatement, I mean that. I was like, who let this happen to me right now? And so looking at the girl that won then because she was a girl and looking at the woman that has come out on the other end, when I tell you a world of a difference, like I mean that with everything in me, um, the, the friendships that I've made, the interview skills that I've gained, you know, the advocacy that I never knew that I had in me, like all just truly came out of me, um, through this organization. And so like, When I tell you, when people ask me about this organization, I'm like going to cry because I have gained so much. I cannot even emphasize that enough. Like it's so much more than just a single night that you see on TV. And you know that, and everybody that's involved in the organization knows that, but the general public doesn't. They see that one day and they think, oh, that's nice. They look pretty. That's great and all, but you have no idea the amount of work and determination that it takes not only to get to that stage, but to get to every stage prior to it, locals included, it takes so much work and grit. And, you know, I, I try to tell that to everybody that asks me about it. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was the question, but, uh, it's what happened. <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. And you're right. I was in a place where I never saw myself being here and now I run a podcast and I run a business and all of these things that came from being a part of the Miss America organization that I could not have fathomed 10 years ago when I took my first steps onto the outstanding teen, now just teen stage. Um, And so it it is wonderful. And and we never would have met if it wasn't for this organization. And, and you're right. Um, God, and and she's she is crying. I'm I'm watching her right now cry. It's making me cry because you're so right. This organization gives so much to women everywhere. And I'm grateful. And I know that you are too. And I think we speak on behalf of every woman who's been a part of it for the impact that it has. So I'm gonna close this out before we can both start sobbing about our time (laughs) in the Miss America organization. And I'm gonna close this out with the last question I've asked all of our interviewees over the last couple of weeks. So Riley, 
What is one piece of advice that you would give to a young person who wants to change the world? I like this question. I would say to listen to that voice inside of you, whatever it's saying, you know, and because oftentimes I feel like whatever that voice is, is, uh, very frequently kind of pushed away, um, for whatever reason that may be, whether it's like outside, you know, people telling you not to speak up for things or whatever the case may be. But I would absolutely say to listen to that voice inside of you, there's a reason, you know, that we are all here on this earth and, and we are here to make an impact and to make our corner of the world a little bit better. Um, and that's how I try to live every single day is to make my corner of the world better. Um, I think that if we can all do that, the world as a whole will be a whole lot better, um, in general. And, and I think that that would be the, the best piece of advice I could give. Riley, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been such a privilege getting to listen to you talk about the work that you do. And I know that well after your time in the Miss America organization, you're going to be an incredible advocate and just one of the strongest women I know. And so I'm excited to watch your journey come next. And you can learn more about Riley's mission to provide people everywhere with the information that they need to make informed medical decisions and get the care that they deserve by following her on Instagram at Miss Lehigh Valley 2022. And make sure that you never miss an episode. So hit that subscribe button. Learn more about how you can help achieve the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals by following us on Instagram at Sustainability Starts With You and at the Sisters in Sustainability Podcast. Join the hashtag SisPodNation today and remember that sustainability really does start with you. Thanks for listening.